it was three years ago, almost to this day, that we, we had received a call to come to Somerville, and I was taking one last opportunity to go with my youth minister, Sean, to a nearshore reef and catch some fish. Last time to be with my buddy. And uh, we had gotten great bait. We had these lovely jelly balls. And, and we got in there early because we had re- had the weather report. There were storms going to come in that afternoon. So we were going to catch our fish and, and be at uh, Captain Jack's for lunch by noon. At least that was the plan. And so we got out there, caught our first fish at 7.30 in the morning. It was great. But what's the old saying? The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And they did. And a thunderstorm began to blossom to the north and another one down to the south. And we were catching fish. So what do you do when you're catching fish? You stay and catch fish. (laughs) And the storms got bigger. And we found ourselves between two electrical storms. And all of a sudden, Sean said, ouch. I said, what's wrong? He said, I got shocked. I said, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble. And then all of a sudden, I heard the the braided line on our rods began to hum at a high frequency. There was electricity in the air. I picked up one of the rods to to reel in the line so that we could make a mad dash, and I was electrocuted and dropped the lot rod into the water. To say that I was scared, feeling vulnerable, feeling helpless would be an understatement. In fact, I said, Sean, we got to go. So I cranked the motor, we made a mad dash eight miles back into Merle's Inlet, and my youth minister, the guy whom I loved and he loved me, he gets down in the bottom of the boat so that now I'm a lightning rod. (laughs) I'm the highest point for eight miles around. And I'll still never understand that. The only thing in my heart I can do is say, he loved me so much, he wanted me to see Jesus before him. That's the only thing I can guess. Uh, but, but, here, <laughs> but what I want to point out is I was exposed, totally helpless, said a lot of prayers, very frightened. Sort of like these disciples this morning in Mark's gospel in chapter 6. Let, let's look at these people who were exposed on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee when the storms came. Chapter 6, verses 45 and following. And I want to look at three things in their lives a bad situation like Sean and I had gotten into, a great Savior who came to them on the waters, and a defective theology that would not allow them to see the Savior with them. So a bad situation, a great Savior, a defective theology. Let's look at the situation. Look at verse 45. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he stayed around and dismissed the crowds. So get the picture. Jesus made them. The Greek word there is forcefully grabbed them and sent them on mission. He's sending them to Bethsaida. So remember, they're on a mission sent by Jesus, an imperative mission. And in uh, verse 46, we see how desperate they've become. And after Jesus had taken leave of them, remember he just fed 5,000, he just sent them out, he goes up on the mountain to pray, it says. He's gone, leaves them alone. He knows a storm's coming. He sent them out to Bethsaida and he left them. What's that about? Jesus has taken the prophetic role that Moses had in the Old Testament. Remember, 
they were going on a journey too. They had been liberated from Egypt, sent to go to the promised land. Moses knew that they were going to go through storms and difficulties there in the desert. And he knew that he must go up on the mountain to intercede for them. That they might have courage and strength and faithfulness for the journey. Isn't that what Jesus is doing for the disciples? He's going up there knowing the storm's coming. Pleading to the Father that they may have courage and faithfulness. In fact, he would later do that for for, uh, Peter. Remember before Jesus dies? He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Isn't it great to know we have a great high priest praying for us in the midst of the storm? But these disciples didn't know that, did they? They were being tested, but they didn't know Jesus was praying for them. Look at verse 47. So evening had come, and the boat was out at sea. That means in the middle of the sea. And Jesus was alone on the land. What's worse is verse 47 says, they're now straining. They're struggling. They're working hard. There's a northeast wind that is right in their faces, and they're being prevented from reaching the mission goal which is to get to Bethsaida, right? And in verse 48, it says, they strained until the fourth watch of the night. What's that about? Remember the Roman armies who occupied? They would set up watches throughout the night, right? And so the first watch begins at about 6 p.m., right after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus pushes in the the boat about 6 p.m. Now, this is the fourth watch, This is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. If you've ever had a storm or a difficulty, it looks a whole lot worse at 3 a.m., doesn't it? You you wake up and you can't get it out of your mind. No matter how you want to give it to Jesus, it seems multiplied and magnified at 3 a.m. So there they are, fourth watch. They've been rowing for seven or eight hours in their own strength, and they're making zero progress. Discipleship lessons. I want you to have two today. One, church, you need to know that if you're being faithful to Christ, if you're in the middle of God's will, if you've got a mission for Jesus, you can expect storms to come your way that unbelievers don't have to deal with because you're being faithful to God. Satan's going to come after you. If you step out into the waters in the boat for Jesus, you can expect dangers. Winds to blow, waves to beat against your spiritual house. Jesus never said it's going to be easy. He said, the the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You sign up for Jesus, there are going to be some struggles. And yet it's thrilling, it's thrilling to be obedient to Christ because he comes with his presence on the waters and we get to see his glory magnified That's the joy of living out the Christian mission. That's obedience. You know what disobedience would have looked like for them? They wouldn't have gotten in the boat, would they? They'd have gone home that night. It's been a long day. They'd have had a great meal, a warm fire, shelter from the winds and the storms. They would have had a great comfy bed to sleep in that night. But they're on the waters, being beaten by the waves, fully exhausted by the mission. They're doing it for Jesus. 
You see, a disciple, though, here's discipleship lesson number two. You might have the desire to be in God's will and, and to do what, what, what is the obedient thing for Christ, but you don't have the strength. Here it is. You don't have the strength. I think that's why Jesus delayed so long, don't you? Look at verse 48. And Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully and that the wind was against them. He saw that they were in need. Why didn't he come in hour number one? He's up there praying on the hill. Why didn't he come in hour number three or hour number six? He lets them painfully struggle for almost eight hours. Why? Do you suppose that maybe he's teaching them the discipleship lesson that is so precious that we, in the mission for Jesus, have to fully rely on him for our strength, by his grace, by his might, and through his majesty. Isn't that why he told the disciples in John's gospel, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing? Rely on me. They're exhausted. And I think that's the lesson. My grandmama in Bishopville, she's a, she was a farm girl, and I would oftentimes say to her after a long day, how you doing, Grandma? And she would reply to me, honey, I'm plum tuckered out. That's a great country phrase, isn't it? I'm plum tuckered out. But you know something? When we get plum tuckered out in our own strength, when we've been rowing through the storm all night long trying to do it ourselves, isn't that when Jesus is closest? Isn't that when he's just a prayer away? And it was for them, I'm plum tuckered out. That's when we begin to rely on Jesus. So Jesus, I love the song that Carrie Underwood has. Jesus, take the wheel. They're at the take the wheel moment, right? Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands, because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. Give me one more chance. Save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. That happens when you're plum tuckered out and you're ready to give it to God, right? So here's the deal. They began to see a great Savior because uh, he came to them. So look at verse 48. It says that Jesus came to them walking on the waters and he meant to pass by them. Meant to pass by. Did he have a better mission? A better thing to do? No, here's the deal. This is referring to Exodus 33. Remember in Exodus 33, Moses has a mission sent from God, and Moses says, you know, there are going to be difficulties out there. I need to make sure you're going to be with us, so I want to see your glory, God. And God says to Moses, I will put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'll cover you with my hands as I pass by. As my glory passes by, I'll allow you to see me, to reassure you that I'm going to be with you in all the storms that lay ahead. Isn't that what Jesus is doing? He's showing the Shekinah glory of God, and yet all they can see is a ghost on the waters. So God has come down the mountain to be with them in the storm. And then uh, in, in Exodus 33, God's promise was, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. See, there's so many of us that just want to avoid storms. That's not the promise. The promise ain't going to be that our lives are going to be easy. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be with you. My Shekinah glory will strengthen you and, and lead you in the storm. Some of us get into a bad marriage, and, 
and it gets stormy and rocky, and, and we go to this other person, this other marriage, thinking that that's going to be perfect, and it's going to be still waters, and it's going to be beautiful, and then we find out that everybody's human. Or we get a job, and it gets difficult, and we're going through a storm, and we're like, if I only had that job, that's the perfect, ideal job, let me avoid the storm. Some people say that about church. I, I've got a church, and and they're going through some difficult times. And, and I think I'll try another church because that church is, is perfect. They don't have any storms over there. You know that's not true, right? Jesus didn't promise to take away your storms. He promised to mold you in the midst of the storm to become a faithful disciple. And he promised to be with you wherever you go. The Bible says don't avoid storms. Jesus said, come to me, all who are laden, are heavy laden and burdened and plum tuckered out, and I will give rest for your souls. But there's one other thing. Look at verse 50. Jesus does come down the mountain to be with them in the storm, but then he says, take heart, it is I. And in verse 51, he got into the boat and the wind ceased. Take heart, it is I. You know what that is? Take heart, cheer up, be courageous, don't be afraid, I am. That's the better translation, not it is I. You know who I am is? I am is Exodus 3. When Moses said, we got this journey, but I'm going to have to get your credentials, God, because these people aren't going to follow you faithfully unless they know your name. And God says, you go back there, Moses. You tell the people, I am sent you. I am that I am. The God of the universe is with you. Jesus is saying that. Guys, don't be afraid. I am is with you. So that was Jesus come down the mountain to be with them in the storm. What is your mountain today? What is your storm today? Where do you need Jesus to come down from on high and enter your place of brokenness, fearfulness, your place of unrest, your place, whatever the storm is on the sea, like I started the sermon with? Where do you need Jesus because here's the defective theology. They had the Shekinah glory walking on the waters. They had the great I am right there with them. And what did they see? Nothing but a ghost because they lacked faith. Look at that. Look at verses 51 and 52. We'll end with this. And they were utterly astounded when Jesus came to them. And they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand the feeding of the 5,000. That Jesus, like a shepherd, provides for every need that the sheep may have. He loves them and comes to them tenderly. Today, we'll hear God's word like we did last week in the feeding of the 5,000, and we'll receive the breaking of the bread and the encouragement of the Eucharist. May our hearts not be hardened. He loves us. He sees from the mountaintop our needs, but he wants us to rely on him and him alone. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let us pray.